Hey everybody, I'm Eric Tornberg, co-founder, partner, Village Global, a network-driven venture firm. And this is an episode of Venture Stories, where we deep dive on topics relating to tech and business with some of the world's leading experts. We are here with a special guest today, Amit from Presence Capital. Amit, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Thank you for, for coming on. I thought we could start out. Amit, can you walk us through your background and how you got started and how you got to where you are with Presence Capital? Yeah, definitely. So I, I'm an engineer. I, I was, uh, always been a programmer and a fan of uh, 3D games like Quake and Doom. John Carmack, the CTO of Oculus, was actually a childhood hero of mine. So I started dabbling in building 3D engines and 3 technologies and eventually ended up at a company called Epic Games. Uh, working on the Unreal Engine. So Epic builds kind of one of the main technologies that's used heavily in VR and AR today. Since, you know, since Epic, I've started a couple of companies. I, I was in social gaming, worked at, uh, worked at Zing for two and a half years, uh, started another company focused on mobile growth. So after I sold my last company, I decided that I wanted to get back into 3D. And, and VR was just starting to emerge at that time. And so I started kind of dabbling a little bit, thought about maybe starting something in VR, and then decided that, you know, that I, there was, I had way too many ideas and I couldn't pick one. So rather than just like focus on one thing, I wanted to invest across the entire ecosystem. So I got together with, with my partners, uh, Paul and uh, Paul Bragill and Phil Chen, and we, uh, we started, you know, this uh, VR and AR focused venture firm in 2015. All three of us have a bit of a background in graphics and, 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 and 3D technology. Paul had started a couple of game companies before, and and Phil was actually C-level uh, HTC and started the, the HTC Vive project over there. So, you know, we all have some experience in the industry and decided that you know our combined talents would be you know well suited for picking and investing in great companies in, in VR. Walk us through a little bit when you decided you wanted to start a fund. How you went from there. How you thought about fund size, how you thought about portfolio construction, how do you thought about LPs? Walk us through that whole process. Yeah. So originally, well, so, so the thing is, is like early stage investing, especially in a nascent market, it's really hard to deploy capital. So if you're if you're going to go and start a fund, you have to be able to essentially deploy capital in an efficient manner to actually give a return to your LPs. And so... When we started, you know, what I wanted to do was I, I want because the market was so early. I want a pretty broad exposure to a lot of different types of companies, a lot of different types of entrepreneurs. So it was always meant to be like an index approach, like small checks on a lot of companies. So originally, we, we were considering just doing like a five million dollar fund, like fifty to hundred k check size. And essentially, when we started to go and raise money, we realized very quickly one is that there was a lot more companies out there that we originally thought that were interesting and then this market was much larger than we originally thought in terms of the number of great entrepreneurs coming in and starting stuff and two on the LP side there was a lot of interest in terms of learning more about the market getting getting exposure to it so most of our LPs are are, are large strategic corporations that basically have some interest in wanting their CBR to see or believe that's the next wave of computing, and, and want to make sure that they don't—they have a pretty good idea of what's happening in the space. So they're essentially using us as their, like, you know, their, uh, uh, you know, like they're kind of their, their water finders, I guess, to, to kind of guide them through this uh, this maze. There's a lot of stuff going on. It. It's a pretty, it's a pretty fast evolving space, and there's a lot of different types of technologies in play. And around the fun 
realized that we ended up at 10 million and, and that was intentional. We could have gone much higher than that. But I really believe just like if you're an entrepreneur raising a round for your company, that you don't want to jump too far ahead in terms of your financing, your funding, because eventually you have all this capital. And if you don't have the ability to, to, to return it, uh, it's, it puts you into really, into a really bad position. So for us, we believe that the $10 million was perfect because it essentially allowed us to write small check sizes and kind of meet the, what I think is the appropriate funding expectations of, of the companies in, in this market right now. Whereas, you know, if, if I, if I was going to go and have to write, you know, million dollar checks or $2 million checks, it'd be much, much harder to do that because you have to build much more conviction. I actually believe those companies will eventually generate enough revenue to, to justify the valuations at which you've made investments of that size. And, you know, I just, and I was actually on a panel last week at VRX and we basically, you know, the, it was a group of investors and we always came to the consensus that like, you know, VR is going to be a lot slower to develop mm-hmm. than, uh, than we originally yep. thought. And we need to be conservative about how we deploy capital here. For the companies where, you know, you're putting in the first round and they, at some point will, will need that additional larger slug of capital. What, what do you tell the, the series A or series B investor who, you know, seeing the, the long-term promise of VR, but, you know, is unsure how quickly it's going to develop. Yeah, I, so I think that it depends, like, so we, we, should, we should break this out, right? Because VR is very broad. It's like saying we're investing in computers at this point, right? And so, like... Yeah, walk us through the different subsections of the VR landscape. That'd be helpful. Yeah, yeah so, so the way we think about it right now is you're either your consumer... Right or or, or your or your B two B, and on the consumer side, it's like if you're you're like either title based, you're content based, or you're you're not you're building something that's more utilitarian. So on the B two B side, I think you can make money today. I think you can justify uh, you can you and you value it just like you would any other SaaS business. So for example, we invest a lot in infrastructure. We invest a lot in companies that are using VR to sell solutions to enterprises. So for training, productivity, those kind of those kind of uh, projects. So when we look at um, when we look at those companies, a lot of times they're they're just valued like any other SaaS company. You look at their MRR, MRR you look at their ARR, and you basically could justify investing in those companies as a Series A based on you know the growth of those metrics. On the consumer side, is where we're seeing a lot of issues, right? So most of the companies that are making money right now are in games, and the issue with games is that they're hit driven, and we you know we kind of I'm sure we've talked about this stuff at nauseum, but like. You know, it's it's very difficult to consistently produce hits, and especially when the cost of creating really great VR content is so expensive because it's you know it's fully three D, it has to be very high quality. Um, people have very high expectations for what this stuff looks like, and there really isn't a free to play market yet. Um, the the mobile VR stuff is just starting to come out, and um, you know there hasn't really been a, a massive free to play hit yet there. So. So most of the stuff is like paid content on Steam or on PlayStation um, or on the Oculus Store, and uh, is really expensive to make. Um, you know the uh, the CEO of CCP, the guy CCP, the guys who make uh, Eve Online and, and Eve Gunjack, and probably one of the best selling VR games ever. Um, you know they invested they invested thirty million in order to make that game, make, mm-hmm. make those games, and they've recouped about twenty five of that. Just to give you an idea of what their numbers look like. So. So essentially, like, there's this, you know, the, the model's not yet working on the consumer side. 
So when you talk to a Series A investor, I say, okay, if you're looking at B2B companies, it's really straightforward. Like that is, you know, what, what we, you can basically see a business model there. Um, on the consumer side, you know, it's, it's, more, it's more about like, I, I tell these companies this all the time. If you're starting a game studio, like it may just be best to try to bootstrap and get funding from Oculus and HTC and the, and the platform providers and don't raise venture. Let's, um, uh, let's, let's go a bit more in depth on the B2B side. Yeah. What infrastructure and B2B businesses and VR do you see, you know, really starting to take off and, you know, have real customers and revenue? Yeah. So, I mean, there's, there's a couple. And so, uh, you know, the, one, the ones that we're really interested in right now, we just did two investments recently, one which I can't name, but is in the productivity space or the training space. And the idea is that you can sell training modules to like companies like, you know, like large uh, Fortune 500 companies to do things like replace their sexual harassment training program or employee onboarding or cashier training. So instead of going through like web page or watching a video, you put your headset and you're in the moment. You're actually going through the motions of actually performing your job, right? If you're, if you're going through unconscious bias training or sexual harassment training, you could be in the shoes of someone who's actually a victim or an aggressor and get a, a much deeper sense of empathy. And so if you're, if you look at like what that business model looks like, it's basically the hardware itself is part of the package. So you're selling complete solutions. You say, okay, we're going to, you know, we're going to charge you a hundred dollars a month and we're going to include the, you know, a rental, like the gear VR or the mobile VR headsets that come with it. Plus the software, that's going to be a complete solution. We'll sell you, you know, maybe a thousand units. So you can basically build a business that way. And when you have, when you're selling to, when you sell these corporations, it turns out that like the cost of the hardware actually ends up not being a that big of a deal because there's a payback period or there's there's some sort of like ROI on actually making that purchase. Another example is we invested in a in a company called Also, and what they're doing is they're essentially building uh, VR sales modules for medical devices, and so this company they basically create a simulated like MRI or uh, some sort of module where you can interact with a, like a medical, like an expensive medical machine. And they're selling this to companies like Medtronic and, you know, all the other medical device companies. And with, with the idea that they can then, their salespeople can then use that to go do demos, to train their customers and basically close deals in a way that was much cheaper and more effective than trying to fly people out to get in-person demos with maybe a limited number of actually available machines. And I'm curious, so on the funds that you've been doing this presence for a year now, two years? Uh, yeah, it's been, uh, we started in July 2015. What have you learned now that you wish you knew then that would have changed any behaviors when you were starting? I would have, so I thought I was, a, I was more bullish on the adoption rate of VR last year and the adoption rate of, of VR in general. It turns out it took a lot longer than we thought to, to start to, to get out there. You know, we, we really thought that, uh, that Google's uh, Daydream stuff would have came out sooner. And I really see that as inflection point for, for, what, for what's going to crack kind of mainstream VR. The second thing is I would have, I probably would have under, I probably would have invested in fewer content companies because of that. Only because, or, co or companies that were content focused, only because there's a you know there, there's a longer adoption cycle. 
What do you think are the biggest conceptions of the VR space right now and looking forward, or maybe another way of putting it, where do you differ from consensus or mainstream opinion in terms of, of where VR is going? I believe that you could, I think most people don't think there's a market market in VR right now to make money. And I, I disagree. I just think you're not looking at the right companies. I think everyone is assuming that consumer VR is, is, is the only way that VR is going to affect the world. And I think a lot of people like they're, when they're bearish on VR, they, they tend to think of the consumer side, like they're like, no one's using VR, my VR units gathering dust. But the impact in, in businesses and the impact to especially education and, and, and productivity in certain spaces is, I think, significant and is, is enough to justify large businesses. Just to give, you, to give you some context without giving away too much information on, on our on our company, sure. You know, we have we have one portfolio company that's doing something like is in the training space that's doing millions of dollars worth of new this year. So wow. Wow. there's and almost all the companies that are doing that level of sustainable revenue are selling to other companies. The buyers of those VR technologies are they, you know, fans of VR or they just look at it as these tools solve their problems better than anything else. That's the latter, right? Like that's the only way to build businesses. You can't. You can't sell, you know, you can't build really sustainable businesses in hype. It's just not possible. So you have to be solving real problems. You have to be driving real value. You have to actually have something that makes sense from a business perspective for the people you're selling to. And so, you know, there's definitely, from from, from that perspective, I, I think it's possible to do that. You know, just to move away from VR a little bit and look at AR, you know, we have a company called Scope AR. And what these guys are doing is they, they basically superimpose maintenance instruction or, or like technical instructions on top of machinery. So if you're looking at like a car engine, it'll say, put the wrench here and then pull this thing out or disassemble it or, or fix it or whatever it may be. So if you can imagine this, you can give someone a, you can give someone an air headset and immediately allow them to start performing technical tasks. And so if you were like Boeing or NASA, both of which are, you know, customers of theirs, you know, if you, if you have a technician who's, you know, in some other part of the world, an engineer who's in some other part of the world, you can literally give someone else this AR headset and have them form the actual physical instructions without mm-hmm. actually having to understand what it is they're technically doing. This is, this is, this is really impactful because it's, it's going to, like, we believe that this company has the potential to actually help save people's jobs in the long run or make people repurpose people as, you know, automation and self-driving cars and all of these sort of other macro trends start to remove jobs in the future. So, you know, we, you know, when you think about like the, the, the use cases and for this technology right now, I think it's almost all in B2B enterprise. So are you then moving away from, you know, consumer and gaming? You know, I know like you say it's hits driven, but if you get the hit, then it pays off. And you, you've, you've made Farmville. (laughs) You're in the business. Yeah. Well, so I I guess I'm in the business of knowing how things go up and come down at the same time. Right. Right. so let's uh, so let's just say I, I personal experience knowing this history. But um, with that being said, yeah, of course it, you can also win the lottery, and that's great too. But at the at the same time, look, we make calculated bets, and the reality is, is there's just not enough units out there right now to to make to make like a farmville sized business on, on VR. Yeah, it's just not it's just not there. And so so yeah, so I think a big part of what we're doing is we're we're thinking about what are the what are the technology enablers. What are the, um, the infrastructure enablers? What are the things that we can invest in now that, you know, regardless of if someone finds a, a hit in the future, that we're still, you know, kind of helping grow the ecosystem and helping uh, 
helping other companies succeed. And I think that's a, that, that's a really profitable place to be right now, just yep. given how many people want building stuff for VR and want this world to, to exist. On the the consumer adoption side, there, there's a you know joke: too early, too early, too early, too late. And you know there yep. are some investment guesses on how big the industry is going to be in you know 2018, 2019. Are you still bullish that you know mass consumer adoption is is coming relatively soon, and how far away is that, and and how does that affect your investing thesis? It's it's inevitable, and here's why. There's 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 a first principle reason why it's inevitable. So every single so the, the Google Pixel is arguably the best Android phone right now, right? You can you can make that argument. It's it's a phenomenal device, and what Google has done is they've gone and created a standard for Android phones called Daydream. And now every single phone that comes out in, uh, in, in Android is going to be measured against the Pixel because that's the kind of flagship phone. So if you think about it, there's going to be a point where every single new Google phone that's coming out, just like after all, every single phone had LTE and every single phone had OLED and every single phone had you know, front-facing cameras. I think every single phone that comes out, at least in the Android ecosystem, is going to eventually be Daydream enabled. So what essentially means is as long as we're, people are still buying new phones and we're going through phone refresh cycles, anyone who's on Android will have a cable VR device in their pocket. And so I think it's inevitable that we're all going to have VR devices on, our, on ourselves most of the time. Apple will eventually figure something out and come out with their own thing. I think the thing that's stopping them is they don't have OLED yet and the iPhone. So there's a there's definitely something that, like, on their end, and, you know, Apple's very hard to predict, so... But on the, at least in the Android ecosystem, that there's going to be a tens of millions of these devices out next year, maybe the year in the few years after, hundreds of millions of, of VR-enabled devices. And so basically, like I think from that perspective, we're going to have the technology in our pockets. That's a question of do we find the use cases for them, right? And so I think you know, and, and the way that we're the way that we believe in this, and we've actually made an investment in the space that that makes that too, is that we believe that the majority of VR consumption. Uh, mobile VR consumption is either going to be media, like long, long-form media watching, so watching Netflix, Hulu, HBO, etc., and usually in places where you're able to withdraw from reality. So in the back of cars, in, on planes, on trains, during commutes, etc., where you're able to essentially go into a VR headset safely. And we believe that people are just going to use that to watch existing media mostly. So, so when we think about like you know what, how VR is going to affect our lives day to day. I think it's going to be mostly in the form of on our phones and mostly in the form of places where we have time to kill, we can withdraw, and we are more in a relaxation mode. That being said, I think the one thing that's throwing that all into kind of one potential other path that VR can go is in, uh, is in web VR. So the idea that I can go to a website on my phone and it has some web mode to it, so, for example, I could be on an Airbnb, you know, homepage, and I could preview a home in VR. And so I basically, yeah, I pick up my phone, and I either have some sort of pocket VR uh, lenses, which already exist now, or it's built into my case or something. I pick it up, I'm able to look around, get a sense of the space, and then put it back down. Same with, like, Zillow, same with TripAdvisor, same with Yelp or a shopping site and so on. So I think that... Web VR could be these like really quick three to five minute experiences mm-hmm. that allow us to jump in and out of VR, very, you know, like, but not really fully engaged, like you know, playing a first person shooter or something like that. 
Right. How do, let's let's stay there on how it affects our day to day lives. How do you think about sort of the social implications of of VR? I think of the South Park episode where they all get headsets and and then they just just like never go outside ever again and make hilarious faces. Does any of sort of the social implications of VR worry you? And, and how do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, I actually view it the other way around. Is I think VR has got so much friction that we're gonna have to really try to get people social like that's I'm, I'm actually of the other way like I, I believe that people are always going to use whatever the lowest form of friction uh, lowest friction form of communication is so you know if I need to talk to you I'm just going to text you I'm going to call you I'm not going to go and put on your headset walk over to your avatar and then have a conversation with you like that just doesn't make any sense so I think it's going to be I think VR social is, is not going to be an issue of people withdrawing into this like virtual world forever because it's just too hard to be in that 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 space and 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 withdraw no. from the real world because <laughs> the real world is just too distracting. Um, so I think what's much more likely is that we're going to find, and we're and we're making the best in this area too, is that you're going to find places where like VR is actually a much better social experience for a specific activity. So for example, uh, um, there's this company, uh, this company called Big Screen, um, and what they're doing is they basically pull your uh, pull your PC into VR. You can share your screen with other people and collaborate and so on. So people are using it for like things like pair programming. They're using it for LAN parties. So you can be in your house. You can be in, everyone can be in VR. You can be playing split screen games together on a giant screen in VR, which is kind of crazy. And be on the other side of the country. Um, I think the social element of that is just, it's really different because it's when it's, it's different from something like Skype or screen share because you actually get a sense of where people's attention is, and that's, that's something that VR really gives you in the social. Angle. It gives you this, this idea of gaze, this idea of attention. Yep. So, if we're, for example, if we're collaborating on a presentation or something in VR, you know when I'm looking at you and talking to you versus when I'm pointing to something on the screen. And you get a lot of those, like, you know, the body language cues that you get in the, in the real world, you get the, you're starting to get in a virtual world through VR. You know? So, yep. we're, you know, we're really excited about the, the, the implications of that because I think there's a lot of really great use cases where VR can actually replace having to be be in the same room or the same city or even the same country with someone. Yeah, I've heard like the environmental implications if you could just you know skip flying across the country. So there you know there's some some positives as well. For for you personally, how how do you use VR on a daily basis? Any favorite apps or games or tell me tell me about your, your VR usage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I um so uh, you know it's. Uh, I, I'll be, I'll be honest, I don't use VR as much as I should. And it's, it's weird, maybe it's just because I, I use it all the time. I, I'm constantly giving demos, right? So I'm seeing a, everyone's, like, first-time experience. So, you know, I've, I've ran people through the Vive at least 100 times now. I've started to run people through the, the PlayStation VR. You know, where I really like VR is um, in, in the cases, like, in, in things like, I, uh, you know, on the, on the PlayStation, there's this Batman game. And just like you get to geek out, right? So you, you know, it's those short form experiences are actually really great. And so for me, like I, I like doing these like ten, to, you know, ten to forty five between that kind of session length. Those kind of experiences are best for me. I don't really get sick or anything like that. It's just it just turns out that if you want really high quality content, the majority of it's in the short form, just because it's pretty expensive to make. I did try something recently, which is really great. Something similar to the Void. Um, I can't say the name of the company, but we're seeing a lot more like kind of location-based VR, like physical. Have, have you guys are you guys familiar with the Void? Yep, it's the kind yep. of theme park physical mixed reality 
Exactly. Yeah. And so, so, there, so the void has this thing. We have it in um, in New York. It's a Ghostbusters experience. But the idea that like you know I could be in VR and I could be like you know in like a lab or something, but the reality I'm like in a warehouse with like some cardboard stuff around me. But it feels like real objects, and you like trick your brain and think it's real objects. It just really blows blows open a whole new set of potential real world experiences. I think those businesses are really hard. Like we we don't like really invest in many of those businesses. At least here in the U.S., it's hard. I, I think in China, there's a whole other thing going on. Depending on the amount of time we have, I could go into that. But like the uh, you know, there's I, I think that stuff is, is really the future. And also, I guess the, the third area is uh, creating in VR. So things like tilt brush, medium, this stuff is really magical. The idea that you can just be in a space without without any without any atoms and create something that's like you know defies the laws of physics. This is just really cool and really liberating and freeing. So, you know, Tilt Brush and Medium are two of my favorite applications as well. Cool. We are going to get into a little bit of the uh, the companies in your portfolio. But at first, I wanted to ask, this is something you know, I think about a lot is, you know, raise the first fund, but you also want to have LPs who are committed to fund two. So how do you guys think about, I know you're still in fund one, but how do you think about fund two in terms of moving current LPs over and in terms of size and, and just walk us through how you think about fund two? I mean, we we love our LPs. They've been super supportive. They they're, they're really excited about the industry. Um, so we, we'd love to have them fun too. So I, I, I have been asked this question many to many times, and you know, it's uh, I, I think fun two is going to be the size of fun two is going to be determined by where the market is. Period. So I just, I want to raise enough capital where I can deploy it and multiply, you know, um, multiply the cash out, and that's like so if it's if it turns out there's more Series A opportunities, then we'll raise a bigger fund. If it turns out it's just C, then we'll stay where we are. So I really believe in raising the amount of money relative to, to, to market maturity and, and not, not really jumping ahead. Yeah. Given you know where the market is at in terms of adoption, what do you think of things like the recently announced Shenzhen VR investment fund of $1.4 billion? <laughs> Where, where's that well, capital going to go? Is it, is it, is yeah, it going to be yeah. Well, also let me, let me throw something out there. You know, we are primarily in software, um, which changes the economics a bit, right? So if you're if you're a hardware company, you, you're going to have to raise you know much more tens of millions of dollars in order to get off the ground. You saw what Magic Leap is doing right now. So you know we like when you see something like a one point, like I, you know when I when I see numbers like that, I feel like there's not really a plan behind it. Like, there's not really a plan for where those dollars are going to go. This quote will come and bite me in the ass. But, like, the reality is, you know, we're going to put $1.4 billion in VR and expect to, to make that back. To me, I just, I, I don't, I don't think that's there. And maybe in hardware, right? So if you're, if you find, like, an early Magic Leap and they're, they're about to actually crack the, the, you know, the crazy display technology, yeah, maybe. Um, but on software side, like, you know, I, I think it's be very difficult to to make that money back, and, I, and a lot of times when I see those really large numbers in the press, you know, yeah. these really large funds, it, a lot of it to me just seems like it's more about the statement rather than the actual deployment. Right. I, I think there's also something that you said in the beginning of our conversation that you know VR and AR look like they have a really good chance of being the next major computing platform, and companies and governments want to get ahead of that rather than being behind that. You know, what, yeah. what, what, what's your advice to the kind of big companies trying to figure out their VR strategy? And, and you know, how has it been having LPs that are uh, strategic companies? Yeah. So 
let's, let's just be very clear about what you mean by the next computing platform. I think if you view kind of the main branch computing as being like PCs, like the internet, smartphones, etc., like that's the main branch computing, the device that we all are using, the entire world is using, as a, you know, as a primary form of computing. I think VR specifically is a is an offshoot of that. It's an offshoot of that main trunk, right? It's kind of a side thing where it's kind of used, it's much better in certain cases, and 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 people will develop. You know, develop specific applications for it, but that could be the primary thing that everyone uses every day as their main computing platform. Uh, AR, on the other hand, is very likely to be the thing that replaces your smartphone, and that's because, just you know, from a logical standpoint, AR puts information in the real world. It's about taking the real world around us and providing us context and making it more easy to navigate and, and just kind of live life. And so what AR does, it puts all that around us. It also has the ability to virtualize screens. So rather than have a TV on the wall, if I'm wearing AR contact lenses, you know, it can just render a TV on the wall. And so so AR is, is kind of the area where everyone's really excited about. And, you know, there's a, there, there is this thing that, like, eventually AR and VR will merge. But I think they're going to be fairly separate devices for a long period of time before they, before they eventually reconvene, where, you know, AR... VR is just AR with a black background is, is the argument that's usually made. But I think it's going to be a while before AR catches up the fidelity of VR hardware today. So on the AR side, that's where most people, when they think about like the excitement and then the impact in the world, and, you know, like it's, it's on the AR side. Like the company Scope AR I mentioned earlier, like because it has the ability to enable people to do things that they were never able to do before or potentially easily transition them from a job that potentially is going away to something new without having to go through like you know, a ton of training or go back to school, like that is incredibly valuable to society. So, and, and we're only starting to crack kind of the, the, the applications of this. So if, I was in, if I'm a large company like Google or Apple or Microsoft or Facebook, and I, like my company's future depends on me having a, a bet and a, and a play in, in AR, you know, it makes total sense that they're, Google is going to go and put whatever hundreds of millions of dollars they did to magically. It just makes complete sense because relative to the, the downside risk of Android goes away is no longer the major computing platform or they miss, miss the next big wave. It, it's like, it makes sense to take that bet. So, you know, but AR, there's a lot of really hard problems that need to be solved in order to actually get, a, get like a proper, proper AR device. Um, the display technology is the one everyone focuses on. So things like, you know, what Magic Leap was working on with their, like, I, was, I don't remember what, what buzzwords they use, but it was like, you know, for lens, projection, fiber optic, whatever technology. Many buzzwords. Um, that, yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that stuff. You know, we've seen companies that are doing retinal projection. The HoloLens and Meta are both using, like, reflected LCD screens. So there's a lot of different display technologies, but the real problem, the thing I think that's really hard to solve is is the, the tracking problem. So the inside-out tracking, where I am in the world, as I move around, keeping stuff consistent, keeping mm-hmm. all that low latency, HoloLens cracked it. They're the only ones that have done it well. Meta is really close to having it, and we've invested in a couple companies that are working on that problem. That's um, a, a good transition um, to one of the more infrastructure companies you did. Tell, tell us a bit about uh, Eonite Perception and... You know, do you think they're going to be able to, to crack that problem? Yeah, oh, perfect. I'm glad you did your research. Yeah, yes, definitely. So that's that was one of the first investments we did. We met that team. 
the you know the chief scientist was working on uh, self-driving cars at Stanford, and has basically been working on this problem for like ten years, and just is an incredible team. So they basically you know the demo I saw for their stuff was was really cool. You you're in a house and like there you have a tablet and it's got a pretty much a you know a pretty basic sensor on it, and you're able to walk around and have objects kind of you know like there's a virtual TV there. There's a puppy that follows you around here to place furniture. It's able to do things like it can tell when, like, if you have a picture of a room and you move an object, it can tell you what in the room changed. Mm-hmm. So there's like, so it's just what is this? It's just it's a really, really efficient and accurate version of Slam. The ability to and Slam is this simultaneous location and mapping is the core technology that's being used in in, in AR position, but also in self driving cars for for figuring out where you are in the world. Mm-hmm. So. So this technology is really core, and and those guys have one of the best implementations I've seen. So so here's the thing, right? Like I think that that problem is a problem right now, but in like two years, it's gonna be like, oh, like why was that ever a problem for anyone? Right. You know, like it's gonna be it, it's gonna be out there, and once it's cracked and it's out, it's gonna be ubiquitous. So, but the thing about the AR stuff is that it's about putting all of these pieces together. So it's about the display and the, the localization and the the uh, positional tracking and computer vision. And the you know the form factor, the battery. So like, there's like all this stuff that you yeah. have to crack in order to make it work. Are, are um, there so the, and any sorry, other uh, more infrastructurey companies that are you know you look at as enablers that are you know going to allow all these technical problems to be solved? That you're on, about? on the air, on the air side. AR or VR? Yeah, sure. So there's two. There's two that come to mind immediately. Uh, the first one is so. Our, our view on AR and the way that we invest in AR companies is almost all computer vision. So we find really great, you know, really great teams that are focused on one thing about uh, one part of computer vision. So the, the reason that AR is going to work and work really well is it helps computers see the world around us. It's about, it's about spatial perception and computer vision. And so when a computer can see what's around you, it's able to provide much more relevant information. And so a lot of companies are doing things like helping computers like identify buildings or identify products or identify objects or, um, you know, do automatic translation. So, you know, we would, you know, one of the first theses that, uh, you know, I had when, when we started this fund was that there's going to be a Shazam for everything. So Shazam helps computers understand sound and specifically music. But, but, and, and, but there's going to be a Shazam that helps computers see a building. Or see, a, understand what exactly what a model of a chair is, and or what like a, what this bottle of wine is. It's able to read the label, right? So when you think about like the when you think about it that way, um, you know a lot of the best that we've done around what are those really big, useful kind of problems that can be solved. Um, so like the building one is actually a company we invested in. It's called Fringify. It's based in um, they're based in Israel, and they use the lines and the shape of a building in order to figure out and build a fingerprint of what that building is and give you the address. So right now, most most applications that like are trying to figure out like what's around you use GPS, but GPS is really inaccurate. So what's what's much better is if you're able just to like, if the computer can see what you see and be like, oh, this building is, you know, 1332 uh, Folsom Street or whatever it may be, you can then use that information to then power a lot of different applications. So I can walk down the street and say, you know, hey, Google, what are all the apartments available for rent around me? And what it does is it uses computer vision to see all the addresses. It passes it into uh, like a Zillow or 
um, a Redfin API pulls the results down and superposes the, the you know it highlights the buildings that are um, have apartments available and you maybe even superimposes a price tag on top of it mm-hmm. with how much that, that apartment works for. Uh, let's talk about building a firm and building a firm for for the long haul. When you have such a you know vertical firm as you do in in VR, um, how do you think about value add in the context of of VR, and how do you think about uh, building a brand for for the long term with with what you want to do with presence? Definitely. So, so in terms of value add, the way that we see it is, we're, like I, I consider ourselves shepherds, right? We basically shepherd people from the C to the A. We don't take board seats, but what we what we do do is we have a really between the three of us, are we have a really great network. We're able to we, we know almost all Series A investors in the Valley and actually worldwide because Phil's actually based in Hong Kong. So, but you know, we we definitely have access to the later stage capital. We've seen, you know, we've all where we were all operational. So we've all been in the shoes of someone who's starting new products, launching a new company, who's been here before, and can kind of help guide entrepreneurs through that kind of the stuff that's really easy to avoid. You know the things that people get tripped up over, like, and that really shouldn't be that that big of a deal. Um, so we help them navigate those common problems. Uh, we help with hiring. We help with overall industry introductions. So we we know all the folks at Oculus and all the platform providers. Obviously, Phil's got a really great uh, relationship with HTC, given his background there. So so you know it really depends on what the entrepreneur needs. And at the end of the day, like, there's no we don't have any associates. It's just us three partners. So we're really easy to get a hold of, and we tend to be very very accessible. On the uh, on the building of firm for the long haul in terms of brand, you know, there's a very specific reason we focus on just VR and Air. There's a very specific reason that the firm's name presence and not like you know, Frontier, you know, uh, all future tech fund, you know, and that's because we want we really wanted to be the go to when people think VR, AR, and venture. We want to be the first thing that comes to mind. It's pure positioning, right? And so when you know everything that we've done about the fund. You know the investments we made, the, the articles we write, everything about it is about really solidifying and making that association between. I need if, if I'm an entrepreneur and I want to raise money from, from you know some of the smartest guys in, in, in the space, I should talk to presence. Now I'm not saying that we are, but hopefully they make that association give us given our branding. Yeah, it's uh, it's you've been in a lot of the the great. Uh, businesses in the in the space any companies that you wish you were in that you passed on or didn't meet with oh man Let's see i i really you know we um i really like what the guys over at, at playful are doing so the lucky's tail guys so paul batner I've, I've known him for for a while from my time at my time at zinga he was he's a he created words with friends and it was his company new toy was bought by bought by Zynga after that really just really great guy really great entrepreneur and uh, yeah I mean uh, he was just off to the races before we got had gotten started I think next VR is really great I think what they're doing with uh, with live sports is incredible they've they've been just doing a phenomenal job in locking up content licenses so so those guys are awesome um, and I'll throw out a third one I really like what the matter guys are doing as well I think they've uh, they've done a great job of establishing themselves as kind of the reality capture uh, solution. Those guys have done a great job. Cool. So I think those those are the three that you know I would have liked to be in, but we're not. Well, let's finish with a couple couple last questions. So first off, you just mentioned Zynga, and obviously there's there's a million things you took from your Zynga experience. But what is the uh, the biggest sort of lesson you learned from your Zynga experience that you pass on to to entrepreneurs? 
so once so Zynga's like I you know Zynga's a games company, but I think it's also a world class growth company and growth mm-hmm. hacking company. And so you know I was I never got my MBA. I was I've considered it, but I never wanted did it because I felt I kind of got it at Zynga. And so you know what I'm looking at is there's two things that you have to think about. Zynga was was a new platform. We were early on Facebook. So like when you think about like what you can do as entrepreneur when you're early on like VR, um, especially on the consumer side, there's a few things that are really unique when a platform is new. One is that uh, the platform owners are incentivized and, and are encouraging or, or, or they're incentivized to essentially work with you. Whereas once the platform's kind of established, you won't you won't be able to get their get them on the phone. But right now, they're willing to fund your content, they're willing to promote your games, they're willing to do whatever it takes to kind of make you a success because it helps prove the validity of the platform. So it's imperative to take advantage of that. Two is as this, this ecosystem is evolving incredibly fast, and part of I think what a great entrepreneur does is they stay on top of those changes. So like if you ever if you go read PayPal Wars, you read the story of you know the, the early days of Zynga. The, the you know the early days of PayPal, like it was all about staying on top of you're building on top of someone else's platform. That means mm-hmm. you need to like basically juke and change and pivot and and constantly continue to iterate on your approach to the market in order to you know be in order as operationally efficient as possible. And so you know Oculus just released you know their 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 social stuff. The best entrepreneurs are thinking how do I use that to get ahead. How can I get an edge there? How do I get more installs? How do I get more paying users? How do I just make my business work with all the new stuff that's coming out? And by being faster and more reactive, they can take advantage of those opportunities. Totally. And lastly, uh, do you have any last advice for the entrepreneur building something in VR as well as the person looking to invest in, in VR? As an entrepreneur in VR, really, you know, really think about whether what you're building is, is realistically going to be, if it's on the consumer side, Keep burn low. That's probably the most important thing. Is keep burn low. Be very pessimistic on, on user adoption. Don't assume just because it's there that people are going to want to use it. And you know we, that has not been the case. So you have to be conservative on one the the, the valuation you're raising at two the, uh, the the amount of your your costs. So to definitely expect a long a long cycle before the, the adoption starts to pick up. And on the investor side is you know don't believe the hype. So definitely, like, you know, consider be be intellectually honest with yourselves about like where VR and how big VR is going to be on the consumer end. On the B two B end, do your diligence and look in, look into the fundamentals of the business and you know their churn rates and their, their growth rate and their payback periods and all, all the good stuff that you, you would have done anyways. If it was going to be your company, just be diligent about it. You know, just because it's VR, just because it's AR, because it's hot, doesn't necessarily mean that you should not be uh, not be diligent. Uh, don't believe the hype. I love to end. Uh, I hope to end all podcast episodes with uh, hip hop refrains. So, Myth, thank you uh, so much for for joining us today and having such a great conversation with us. Oh, yeah, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me.